Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is The War of Italian Unification, 1859 to 1861, part one of two. a geographical expression rather than a nation. This is a famous term used by Clemens Metternich, Chief Minister of Austria, until 1848 to describe Italy. At the time, he was quite correct. Never in its history, at least since the ancient Roman Empire, had the Italian peninsula been united as a single nation. Since the early Middle Ages, and perhaps even earlier, the idea of Italian nationhood had existed. Dante and Petrarch both dreamed of it, as later did Machiavelli. Geographically and linguistically, it made sense. But the land was so deeply divided politically, with various bitter rivalries between neighbouring cities, the division of Guelph and Ghibelline, Emperor and Pope. Then, from the year 1494, When the French king, Charles VII, invaded, the peninsula became a battleground between neighbouring powers. By the mid-16th century, the Spanish Habsburgs had established their dominance over the peninsula. Then, after the War of Spanish Succession, the Bourbons ascended the throne of Spain, and subordinate branches of that house retained control of Parma and Modena until the French Revolution. The Austrian Habsburgs acquired Lombardy, Tuscany and Naples in 1713. The Kingdom of Naples, the southern third of the peninsula, including Sicily, was reclaimed by the Bourbons in 1738. Meanwhile, Venice's power gradually waned, chipped away over the years by wars with the Turks. The House of Savoy held a special place in Italian politics. They were the rulers of the Duchy of Piedmont, today in the region of south-east France and north-west Italy, 
which came to act as a buffer zone between the Bourbons of France and Spain on the one side and the Austrian Habsburgs on the other. Its rulers traditionally played a careful game, backing one side, then the other, depending on the circumstances. In the year 1721, Piedmont was joined with the Kingdom of Sardinia to form a new state, and the House of Savoy became one of only two kingdoms in the peninsula. It retained its independence through careful diplomacy and maintenance of a well-trained army. Between 1748 and 1792, Italy enjoyed a period of peace, as an alliance between France and Austria brought some stability to the peninsula. The French Revolution, however, shattered the peace, ushering in an era of dramatic change to Italian politics and society. In 1796, Napoleon Bonaparte's lightning campaign in northern Italy led to the collapse there of Austrian influence. Napoleon completely redrew the political map of Italy, first forming satellite republics ruled by his allies, and then again in 1804 when he merged them into the Kingdom of Italy, which ruled the north. The entire peninsula was impacted by Napoleonic rule as a result of the annexation of Piedmont in the northwest and of Tuscany and the Papal States to Imperial France. Napoleonic rule finished at the Congress of Vienna in 1814-1815, at which the Bourbons were restored to Naples and the Austrian Habsburgs established direct control over Lombardy and Venetia, including Venice. Rulers subordinate to the Austrians were established in Tuscany, Parma and Modena. Napoleon's invented political entities did not survive long, and after the Congress of Vienna, the rulers of Europe, out of fear of further revolution and instability, did their best to return politics to the situation before the war, and to suppress liberal and democratic movements. Yet many of Napoleon's reforms were to have a profound and lasting impact in Italy. As in France, the abolition of feudalism broke up the political structures of the monarchies, and established instead the absolute sovereignty of the state. Some of the more beneficial of the French reforms remained, such as a political constitution, new codes of law, a fairer system of taxation, and more religious and intellectual toleration. In addition, the temporary unification of parts of the peninsula encouraged Italians to be aware of a common nationality. The vast majority of Italians were peasants who were more interested in immediately practical issues such as tax or land ownership than theoretical concepts such as nationhood. However, various movements for political change gathered strength in the post-Napoleonic years, particularly among the middle classes. However, they were often divided in their beliefs. Republicans, inspired by the example of the United States of America, wanted to overthrow their monarchy. Liberals believed in constitutional and civil reform, freedom of the press, and developing the economy by encouraging free trade. Socialists wanted more radical change, universal male suffrage and greater workers' rights. The first-scale revolutionary movement in the immediate aftermath of the Napoleonic era was the Carbonari,
Although their centre was in the city of Naples, similar organisations emerged in Parma, Modena, Tuscany and Piedmont. In 1820, the Carbonari staged a revolution in Naples, whose king had to flee to Austria. They also attempted a revolution in Piedmont, where they demanded that the king establish a constitution. Metternich sent Austrian forces to Piedmont and Naples, and the professional armies made short work of the revolutionaries. The constitutions were abolished and the Carbonari brutally repressed. The failure of the revolutions of 1821 failed to eliminate revolutionary sentiment in Italy. As the Carbonari began to fade from the revolutionary stage, the person who emerged as the intellectual leader of the movements was Giuseppe Mazzini. Born in Genoa in 1805, from his university days onwards, Mazzini was obsessed by the ideas of Italian regeneration and republicanism. In 1832, he fled to exile in Marseille, where he founded a group called La Giovine Italia, or Young Italy, with the avowed object of the liberation of Italy by revolution if necessary. Within two years of its foundation, it could boast some 60,000 members, and it also ran a periodical of the same name, many of the articles written by Mazzini himself. From France, Mazzini began plotting conspiracies. In 1833, he helped organise a plot in Turin, which the Piedmontese government quashed with savage repression, including public executions. Mazzini was among those condemned to death in absentia. The following year, another of his coups failed in Genoa, which resulted in a death sentence for another young revolutionary, Giuseppe Garibaldi, who had become a key figure in the story of Italian unification. Born in 1807 in the city of Nice, Garibaldi started his professional life as a merchant seaman. Always a man of action, he managed to escape to France just in time, and then after a brief spell in the French merchant navy, travelled to South America. For the next 12 years, he fought there alongside a legion of exiles called the Red Shirts, with whom his name would forever thereafter be associated. He gained experience of guerrilla warfare, which would stand him in good stead when he later returned to Italy. Mazzini, meanwhile, fled to Switzerland and then England and set up Young Europe, an organization that promoted self-determination and freedom for the oppressed. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
1848, revolutions spread throughout Italy, as well as the rest of Europe, and the subsequent events in the peninsula are sometimes described as the First War of Italian Unification. The first outbreak of revolution in Sicily owed little to Mazzini. It was a popular movement, driven by hostility to the government in Naples. But subsequent revolutions elsewhere on the peninsula were inspired by the ideas he espoused. The Piedmontese under King Carlo Alberto supported an insurrection in Milan and fought against an Austrian army. For a brief period during the revolution, Mazzini became the leader of the Republic in Rome. He worked hard and efficiently as an administrator, restoring order, abolishing the death penalty, bringing about the freedom of the press and universal male suffrage. However, in the second half of 1848, governments across Europe recovered their nerve and pushed back the revolutionary tide. Across Italy, the revolutionaries were defeated and the Austrian government restored its authority over northern Italy. The Pope was restored to Rome and the Bourbon King, Ferdinand II, to Naples. Italian nationalists watched their dreams of self-determination and unification shatter. In Italy, as elsewhere in Europe, the status quo was championed, especially by Austria and Russia. Pope Pius IX, frightened by the turmoil of 1848, decided thereafter to pursue a much more conservative path than before. The most substantial political change resulting from the events of 1848 was the election of a nephew of Napoleon Bonaparte named Louis Napoleon as President of France. Skillfully exploiting the Napoleonic legend for his own benefit, he organised a coup in 1851 and proclaimed himself Emperor Napoleon III. Napoleon II, incidentally, was the son of Napoleon Bonaparte, and never actually ruled France. He was briefly, technically, the Emperor of the French after the second fall of his father, and died of pneumonia at just 21 years of age. After the revolutions of 1848, there was also political change in Piedmont. When the Piedmontese army lost to the Austrians in the Revolution of 1849, Carlo Alberto abdicated in favour of his son, Victor Emmanuel II. The author, Christopher Duggan, describes the new king as a, quote, bluff, coarse-mannered man with a passion for the army, wild boar and women, but none for politics, end quote. He was immediately able to obtain a rather favourable armistice, from the Austrian Imperial Army Commander, Rodetsky. The treaty, however, was not ratified by the Piedmontese Lower Parliamentary House, the Chamber of Deputies, and Victor Emmanuel retaliated by firing his Prime Minister, replacing him with Massimo Dezelio. After new elections, the peace with Austria was accepted by the new Chamber of Deputies. Victor Emmanuel wanted to return to the absolutist traditions of his forebears, but the Austrians encouraged him to keep a constitution or risk strengthening the Liberals. Dezelio persuaded the king with the argument that the proposed constitution still gave him the powers he most coveted, the supreme command of his armed forces and the authority to make war or peace without consulting Parliament.
Tazelio also did his master a service by promoting his image as Il Re Galantuomo, or the Gentleman King, a sobriquet that caught on and is still sometimes used to describe him. Later, Tazelio came to regret this favour, realising it was an unsuitable nickname for such a boorish individual. As it was, the Constitution, or Statuto as it was called, was a remarkably backward-looking charter that made only minimal concessions to the principle of popular sovereignty. Nevertheless, Piedmont was the only state in Italy to preserve any form of constitutional government after 1849, and this was one important reason why in the course of the next decade it was able to present itself, both at home and abroad, as the standard bearer of the question of Italian nationhood. Also, the gathering of exiles in Piedmont from all parts of the peninsula in the 1850s helped its growing identification with the cause of Italy. The man who more than any other would ensure that Piedmont helped unification was Camillo Benso, Count of Cavour. Born in 1810 into an aristocratic family, Cavour's father had risen to high ranks during the years of direct French rule. His first language was French and he struggled to speak Italian well. Aside from his love of gambling, he spent much time studying economics and travelled extensively in Britain and France, where he received a strong conviction that the best way to advance progress was to steer a middle path between political extremes, called in French the juste milieu. Cavour believed in a leading role in public life for the landed upper classes, whose principal tasks included the avoidance of revolutionary change and the preservation of established institutions like the monarchy. He was therefore an outspoken foe of democratic and republican ideas and movements, and so hostile to such political figures as Mazzini and Garibaldi. On his return to Piedmont, he ran the family estate and helped launch an agricultural association. Only in the mid-1840s did he begin to get involved in active politics. In appearance he was unimpressive, short and pot-bellied, with a blotchy complexion, thinning hair and spectacles, and he dressed shabbily. Yet he had a razor-sharp mind and rose quickly through the ranks. He was elected to the Chamber of Deputies in June 1848, sitting on the right of the Conservatives, and quickly proved a very skilful debater. In October 1850, the Prime Minister, Desiree, rewarded him with the portfolio of trade and agriculture, and soon afterwards with that of finance. He immediately introduced reforms that liberalised and expanded Piedmontese trade, encouraged the development of infrastructure needed for growth, and succeeded in attracting foreign investment. Already earlier in the century, the Piedmontese economy had benefited from agricultural advances, such as the use of fertilisers and improved techniques of irrigation and drainage, while manufacturing profited from the mechanised spinning of cotton and wool and from the rise of the metallurgical industry. Cavour began manoeuvring against Azelio, who had no great enthusiasm for the cut and thrust of politics, and was hampered by a bullet wound in his knee he had sustained in 1848. He aimed to build a centrist coalition and made an alliance with the centre-left. 
the underhand nature of this move caused outrage and Cavour was forced to resign, but he was too talented to be overlooked for too long. And in the autumn of 1852, Desario had to step down and magnanimously recommended to the king that Cavour should succeed him. Before he became Prime Minister, Cavour went on a trip to Britain, where he met several leading politicians of the day, and to France where he had an audience with Napoleon III. The newly elected emperor was as mercurial as ever, but writes Christopher Duggan, he revealed just enough for Cavour to realise that if Piedmont played its cards right, it could win the support of France in redrawing the map of Italy at Austria's expense. When Louis Napoleon proclaimed himself as Napoleon III, Emperor of the French, there was great nervousness in London, Berlin and above all in Vienna, that France would once more attempt to alter the balance of power on the continent. Napoleon III did not act immediately, but next year in 1853 he sought an opportunity to appeal to the patriotic desires of his people to restore French glory by intervention in the Ottoman Empire. As described in a previous podcast, the French fought with the British and Turks against Russia in the Crimean War of 1853-56. to In the late stages of the war, during the siege of Sevastopol, the Allies were joined by the Kingdom of Piedmont. King Victor Emmanuel II was keen to join the war and secretly negotiated with the French behind Cavour's back, forcing the Covenant to forego their reservations and to commit Piedmont to a campaign in which there was no obvious gain. Cavour hoped that the Piedmontese troops would distinguish themselves sufficient in battle to provide him with a strong bargain encounter in a future peace conference. In the end they were involved in only one engagement of note, although 2,000 died from cholera in the campaign. At the peace conference in Paris in 1856, Piedmont made no concrete gains, but significantly Cavour was able to have the Italian question formally discussed by the delegates. Before leaving Paris, Cavour had several meetings with Daniel Manin, hero of the Venetian Republic during the 1848 revolution. Manin was fast emerging as the leading spokesman for those exiled Democrats who had lost faith in a popular insurrection as a means to unify Italy and were now looking instead towards Piedmont. He sent a series of forceful letters to the press denouncing Mazzinian-style conspiracy and in 1857 founded the Italian National Society, an organisation which aimed to bring together all those who accepted Piedmont as the driving force to constitutional monarchy and Italian unification. Cavour became more openly supportive of Italian unification, writing in 1857, quote, events have led Piedmont to take up a definitive and firm position in Italy. Since Providence has willed that Piedmont alone in Italy should be free and independent, Piedmont must use her freedom and independence to plead before Europe the cause of the unhappy peninsula, end quote. Gary Bordy and others came round to the idea of Piedmont playing a central role, leaving Mazzini an increasingly isolated figure. 
Mazzini continued to work on triggering local uprisings among the Italian people. However, an attempt to trigger an uprising in Sicily in 1856 failed, as did an expedition in 1857. Cavour was angry at Mazzini's actions, especially by the fact that his police proved unable to arrest the troublesome revolutionary, who remained hiding in Genoa. He was worried about the effect which revolutionary agitation would have on Napoleon III and his commitment to the Italian cause. Internally, the abortive revolutions helped Cavour and strengthened the Piedmontese cause through Italy by further eroding Mazzini's support. You've been listening to a History of Europe Kibatos podcast. You can get in touch either by a Facebook page of the podcast or directly carl, that's C-A-R-L, at historyeurope.net. If you'd like to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com stroke historyeurope. Or if you like the show, why not give it a great review on iTunes or wherever you find the show. I hope you can join me next week for the second and final part on the War of Italian Unification. Until then, all the best and goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.